0: This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. Good afternoon everyone. My name is Barbara Quintiliano and for those of you that don't know me, um, I'm one of the research and instruction librarians here at Falvey. And I also have the pleasure um, of being the contact for the College of Nursing. And today, I have the really special special pleasure of introducing our speaker. Um, Dr. Elizabeth Burgess Dowdell, a professor of pediatric nursing at Villanova University, has made major contributions quantifying the health risks facing vulnerable children and providing leadership to vital, compelling issues in child health. She has been a pioneering nurse scientist Identifying the interrelationships among various forms of electronic aggression, including cyberbullying and sexting. Dr. Daldell incorporates nursing information into the larger (coughs) pool of interdisciplinary research by updating the profile of high risk youth and highlighting the significance of the interrelationships among physical, sexual, emotional factors and electronic aggression when using the internet. Her current Department of Justice grant advances the science of children's risk behaviors by providing professionals with resources to assess risk, educate children and parents, and plan future intervention studies. Dr. Daldell is recognized as a national and international expert, has received numerous honors and awards, and serves on the United States Department of Justice Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Preve- Prevention International Working Group on Internet Child Safety. Dr. Daldell's academic agree- degrees include a BSN from Vanderbilt University, MS. from Boston College, and PhD. from University of Pennsylvania. And take it away, Dr. Daldell.) So nice. um, A lot of fun and quite an
1: honor to be here to speak about child internet safety. Specifically, what I'm going to be talking about is something that has consumed my life since 2007 and started with a pilot funded by OJJDP and then went to a full study and now is an independent study. But the study that I'm going to talk about with you today includes most of these prongs Middle schools, I'm not talking about parents, high schoolers, some college kids, the offenders, and then these last two pieces were really the technical piece. So who was the sample? So when I talk about the sample and I'm talking about middle school children, I'm talking about 404 sixth, seventh, and eighth graders from public and parochial. And when I'm talking about high school kids, I'm talking about over 2,000 high school students, grades nine, 10, 11, and 12, with a nice mix males, females, and we recruited our um, high schoolers from suburban and rural and urban settings. So a nice mix of Massachusetts, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. When we talk about college kids, we're looking at about 1,200 college students from five universities, all located here in the United States. We had two on the East Coast, two on the West Coast, and one right in the center. And when we talk about offenders, The offenders are all male. So when I start talking about he did, he said, it's because all of our offenders were male. Majority were defined by a child sexual assault or offense. Could have been internet and or a hands-on offense, okay? When we talk about the offenders, there are a lot of guys in this group. Most of them were divided into internet offenders and non-internet offenders, and they break down as such. With looking at internet offense offense only, it's usually in the pornography piece. And then the other non-internet included child molestation, rapists, miscellaneous sex offenders who were not child molesters, a nice group of guys. Half the sample was incarcerated and half the sample is in the community. So we looked at middle school kids, high school kids, and college kids looking specifically at internet. Looking at risk behaviors, and what did we find? Well, we found there were significant gender differences. Absolutely, think of the age group. Boys are very different than girls at early adolescence or tween ages. Some would say they continue onward. We see there's a clustering of internet risk behaviors. We're seeing contact with online strangers, offline contact, and a minimal reporting of health behaviors. So what kind of health behaviors do you think we were really asking about? Is anybody out there? Hello. <laughs> smoking and drinking. Because guys remember part of my sample came out of parochial school, and what do we know about parochial students? They do not have sex, nor do they have drugs. So we only <laughs> asked about cigarettes and smoking, and drinking. So we move into the high school, and shazam, the high school students look an awful lot like the middle school kids. Absolutely, think growth, development, where they are in their lives. Well, what's the big thing that changes? Let's see if I can get, whoops. Oh, my little red line. Their health behaviors jump significantly higher. And what do you think they're doing? If they're not having sex, and they're not doing drugs, what are they doing? Right, their alcohol consumption. I could have put my college age students in here where the drinking consumption goes even higher, but didn't. So their gender differences. What the heck does that mean? Well, the girls were different. Specifically, girls were different in that they spent more time on the internet, more days on the internet, rated it higher. Much more important to them, much more important to who they were, their whole social world, all of that. More likely to have contact. Well, sure, they're spending more time online. They were instant messaging and social networking. Those were the highest rated activities of online And they got into trouble. And when they got into trouble, because we did ask, you ever got into trouble on the internet? The response was, oh yeah, for spending way too much time. My parents constantly were yelling at me. Boys, very different. Different, and again, remember where they are developmentally, in that they like to IM and play games. Who knew World of Warcraft was such an amazing place to be and to go? More likely to offline me. So, they're also having online contact, but they're more likely to go offline to meet somebody, twice as likely to seek out pornography. And no surprise, when they get into trouble, it's for getting the pornography. So, mom or dad comes, finds it on the computer, and has a fit. We find just like health behaviors, just like health behaviors. So, if you smoke and you drink, and you smoke and you drink, you probably binge on the weekends and don't have good exercise and don't have healthy nutrition, we find internet behaviors are clustering also. And it's the clustering of the internet behaviors that is really kind of the core of this whole conversation that we're going to have today. Because all of these behaviors in and of themselves are not necessarily risky. And let's face it, everybody's doing it. Well, when you have an adolescent or an early adolescent who has a very different thinking and judgment calling and maturation level, the clustering can lead to very dangerous outcomes. We also found the webcam was a bad thing. Very bad thing in the internet offenders population. They love it. But also a bad thing for the kids because using the webcam, really, we're more unlikely um, to have offline online friendships, online romantic relationships and sending all kinds of inappropriate pictures of themselves to people they don't necessarily know. So what are they doing? Well, we see the high school kids, 88% of them are online. Facebooking, higher percentage in the college students. Number one reason college kids are on Facebook? She asks the audience. Why? Why are you online? Why are you Facebooking? Homework. That's what I was told. Homework that's how I find out about homework homework so okay high school students are not quite into the homework I guess because that's not their number one reason to Facebook we find again girls are different we find them are using social networks more often than boys and but the girls are more often to report having a privacy setting so something with the internet safety is starting to get through okay senior students this is not a huge surprise nor, or an eye-opener or an aha moment. These senior students in high school are out looking to come to college. So they are surfing everything. Surfing here, surfing there, looking for this, looking for that. Okay? Interestingly enough, the public school students were slightly different than the private or parochial school students and that the public school students had a lot more time online looking at different sites than the parochial did. College students, again, we see gender differences. I hate to tell you there's gender differences even at my age with men, okay? We find, however, girls are having a greater variety of websites than the boys. Again, it fits with the fact that they're rating the internet and social networking sites as being more important. Well, here's a case study. It didn't come from our study, because I can't use some of those stories. But I can share that out in Kansas Nursing students posted up on her site, this is a human placenta, since we're after lunch I didn't put it in color, but she took a picture in her maternity and posted it and then sent it for the world to see. And the school officials kind of got a little upset about that and said, take it down and kind of expelled them, said you can come back in September. This was a December. And her commentary was, I can't do that because I'm getting married and I'm moving and I can't can't come back in September, I want to come back now, so they went to court. And the court says and ruled that you know, when you take a picture, it's meant to be shared. Therefore, the school and the instructor were at fault for not saying, don't put up a picture of a human placenta on your web page. So she's back in, I'm sure. In fact, she's probably graduated. But that becomes a very interesting area as we start talking about right to privacy confidentiality. From the study, we did have a case. We have a case of a 16-year-old girl who one evening, it was actually a Monday night, is in her room. She's got her Facebook up, she's got um, her wiki page or the professor's wiki page up, she's got Word open, she's surfing this, she's texting, I am, and up pops, I know who you are, but you don't know who I am. Gives her pause, but she types right back in and says, oh come on, who are you? And they get into this nice kind of conversation um, for about 20 or 25 minutes. And at which time he's talking about her um, role on the swim team. And he's talking about how they did at the last meet and the coach and so-and-so and and -and such-and-such. And she's had some unpleasant comments to make about certain people on the team. And at the end of the meeting or conversation, he comes back and he says, you know what, I want your password to Facebook. She said, yeah, no, it's not going to happen, I'm I'm not going to share that, no way. And he says, well, if you don't, if you don't, then I'm going to tell Nancy and Susie and Mary Jane all the awful things you've said about them, and I'm going to post it so even Coach Smith can see it. Takes a little less than eight minutes, and she shares the password. The minute she shares her password, what happens? He's got access to everything, doesn't he? Okay, get the webcam on and for 20 minutes, he asks and she complies to do a lot of very inappropriate and very sexualized behavior on the webcam that he's recording on his laptop. So at the end of this, he says, okay, that was great. Don't don't tell anybody. This is our little secret. Goodbye. She logs off. She gets completely off Facebook. Logs out of the wiki page, finishes up whatever she was finishing, and that's that. It's Monday night. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, she's reported by her parents to be acting very odd. Not sleeping, very jumpy, very nervous. Not really online as much as she had been. Dad has a security program that downloads anytime the webcam comes on, onto the hard copy. He actually checks everything, and Saturday afternoon, when he's checking his daughter's webcam use, what do you think he sees?" <coughs> then where you think the next call is goes into the police, ICAC, Internet Crimes Against Children. Every state in this nation has a minimum of one, if not two. There are FBI agents who come out, the forensics, you know, when you get in trouble, you see the police on TV hauling off the computers. Those are the ICAC guys. And comes to find out, he didn't go, this kid didn't go to school with her. He's a 26-year-old out of Atlanta, Georgia, and she's here out of Philadelphia. He had been doing this. He had been cruising, because, you know, you can type into Facebook, and he got profiles, and he narrowed his scope down. And he got all the information about the swim team and the matches and coaches from the school's website, where they posted and where they talked about things. And he manipulated her. He groomed her to get what he wanted. There are dangers online for kids who don't always understand or have the judgmental developmental thinking about that. Electronic aggression is another area where I've got a couple of fun cases for you. So we looked at specifically at students who made uh, rude or nasty comments, played jokes, people they knew, people they didn't know, and used the internet int- intentionally to harass or embarrassed. Okay? We find the middle school students had lower levels than the high school students. Now, this is a little bit in contradiction to what the uh, literature says, because the literature says the number one age group for meanness online is eighth grade girls. It's not really what we found. It doesn't mean times aren't changing. We get to high school and the numbers really jump up. We find them playing, yes, internet jokes on people they knew more often than on people they didn't know. But we also find the numbers of using the internet to harass starting to go up higher and especially to people they don't know. And I didn't ask how they found people that they didn't know, or if it was referred, or if someone said, hey, I'm gonna say something really nasty about Joey, could you do it too, even though you don't know Joey. But these are people not known to them. We find Facebook, the social networking site, is the number one place where people are posting a lot of the unpleasant comments they have to make. We find that that's really where they're venting with their anger too unpleasantness, okay? We found a really strong correlation as we start to talk about have you ever bullied? Have you been bullied? Now the ever, this is a physical piece. Have you ever been pounded, pinched, hurt, knocked down? Okay, have you ever used? Have you ever been sexually harassed? No surprise, huge, huge, huge. Girls overwhelmingly more likely to be sexually harassed than the boys. And yet the boys are more likely to have been the bullies or bullied, okay? What we find out of the 2,000, when we looked at the bully and bullied, we find 600 have a relationship to both. And of the 600, only 13, and those were bullies who had never bullied. So there is a very interrelational relationship going on between having the experience of being a bully and then having the experience of being a victim. Not really sure what that means, but it is significant and it's coming out statistically. Now, we all know we can make statistics say things, but it is something that seems to be related. Have you ever been threatened online with physical assault or sexual assault? And we see over a third of the sample says yes, they have been. Okay, we find that the electronic aggression had a strong relationship with some other very risky behaviors. Again, that clustering. Okay. Offline stranger meeting. Something sexual with an offline stranger. And then all the sexting stuff. All the sexting stuff. OK. Comments from kids who had this experience. The difference appears to be coming out between the physical bullying and the internet bullying is that the physical bullying sort of is once and done. Maybe it's in the cafeteria or the playground or out in the parking lot. But how it is remembered is based on how it is stored. With the internet, that's very different because it's always there on the phone or on the screen or on the iPad. And it can be revisited and revisited and revisited. So it's never moved from short term to long term. And that is a problem and of a concern. As we're looking at individuals and their memory, if you're looking at tweens and teens, and how they develop their sense of autonomy as well as their sense of self and self-esteem. If they're constantly going back to saying, I have to check all the time to see it's still there. Okay, We had a case of offline stalking. Offline, online stalking, excuse me. Online stalking is increasing. Not so much, not in the middle school. We had it in a high school kid and in the college age kids. So we are finding the online stalking happening and the cyber stalking is with emails and instant messages and pictures and constant calls. Um, Also we're finding reports of surveillance, cameras left motion activated cameras at residents, outside cars, constant tracking of victims. On a case study, she actually had two episodes. She was a 10th grader. She tells us she has a history of health risk behaviors, alcohol, and marijuana use, and she shares two online experiences. The first one involves a chat room, and she's in this chat room, and she tells us there are a lot of cheaters out there, lots of cheaters, and some friend shared her information. And so sure enough, someone I didn't know, the guy contacted me, but he was so creepy, and creepy has a real meaning to high schoolers, that I didn't answer him after the second I am. So something bad happens. Change in behavior, right? When something bad happens to us, we change our behavior. So how did she change her behavior? What do you think she said? What do you think she asked her friends not to do anymore? Exactly, thank you. Gold star. Absolutely. So this time, so nobody gives out her information. Well, she goes on a band trip and she goes down to Washington, D.C. and there she meets a guy from a lot of not, uh, information in there, but uh, I think he was from uh, Indiana or Illinois, one of the states with an I in it. And they hit it off, and they text, and they Facebook, and they do all of this, they face talk, all that stuff. And he thinks she's really cool and likes some of what she's interested in, sends it off to a friend. Well, that friend's not really interested, but he sends it off to his cousin who lives in northern Illinois. And the cousin starts, he's 18, at this point she's only 14, and starts emailing and IMing and texting him for a couple of months. So this goes on for over half a year. That They're talking and chatting and getting in. And then something happens. And she says no more. That's it. That's it. But he keeps calling every day. And this happens for over a year. Every day. Two in the morning, two in the afternoon, eight in the morning. Okay? goes on forever. He started to get really creepy, and she has to finally tell her father. And the father gets on the phone and says, knock it off, leave my daughter alone. And he responds and doesn't call her again. What do you think the father then does to the daughter? Takes everything away from her, absolutely. (coughs) How could you let this happen? And everything gets pulled away. Okay, so what do you think the lesson from that might be? She may not. Right, may not tell dad next time, okay? Chat rooms. Well, that's where the first experience happened. We find, you know, a third of the boys, middle schoolers, and about 12% of the girls are in open chat rooms with very small and monitored. High school, the numbers go up. Chat rooms come and go. They come and go. You know, college students really aren't in there at all. They're blogging, they're doing other things, okay? But what we find is that when they're in there, the kids report who they're chatting with. The girls are chatting with boys. The boys are chatting with girls. They're very transparent. They say they're 14, they're 14. They live in Pennsylvania, they live in Pennsylvania. When we get to the offenders, they're not quite as honest, okay? In fact, only 29% actually use their real identity of John Smith, 38 years old, from Chicago. The majority, however, disguise their identity by name or age. And if they're disguising their name, they're really disguising their gender. So John Smith becomes Joan Smith. And she's not 38, he's not 38 anymore, he's now 18. And so we find some of this. Um, Interestingly enough, internet offenders and child molesters were equally divided on being uh, deceitful online child molesters only, Um, they were usually giving true identity. Some of this is related to their offenses. And as you think of profiling pieces, the profile of a child molester tends to be different than an internet offender, okay? Especially hands-on. What are hands-on? A lot of you guys are from the victimology class, right? So when you look at hands-on and you profile a hands-on offender, what's he looking for? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's looking for somebody he can touch, right? And so if he's looking for somebody he can touch, Dr. Weingarten can tell that I'm not a 38-year-old male from Chicago, okay? Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm going backwards. So it's very, very different. As you look to profiling, who wants what? Online, it's very easy to be deceitful, isn't it? It's very easy to say, I'm blonde, 6'2", you know, look like Heidi Klum. (laughs) You wouldn't know if you didn't see me now, okay? So it's very different when we profile the different offenders of what they want and what they're trying to get, okay? Sex talk, okay? That means inappropriate conversations or the words. And what do we find? We find that kids, have much lower levels of introducing inappropriate language than the adults. In fact, boys were more likely to seek out this topic. Girls were more likely to report somebody talked to them about it when they didn't want to. Okay? And both genders reported that someone encouraged them to talk about sex, what they wanted to do or have done to them. Wouldn't you like this? Okay? High High school students were also noted to have gender differences. Again, it's all this conversation stuff. OK. Boys, however, were more likely to go into inappropriate sites. So Debbie Does Dallas is more likely to be visited by, uh, DebbieDoesDallas.com is more likely to be visited by high school boys and high school girls. When we get to internet offenders, what do we find? Well, we find the offenders, again, 63% of them Initiated something very sexual and provocative on that first interaction. So again, kids are not initiating this. This is being initiated, and what they send out this is the internet guys. What they send out, they send out something provocative, because who are they looking for? Yeah, somebody to respond to them, right? Because they have a very different mo than a hands-on soul. Okay, And we find, the thing that I always like about this slide is that it's, you know, they, these I, um, offenders and the molesters wait until sessions two through six. Two through six, bless you. So they're having conversations <coughs> or interactions, because they're not really conversations. But they're having interactions one, two, three, four, five, six times with kids. And what do we call that? with a G. Grooming. Gold star. Absolutely. We see some of this grooming being blended in the area of avatars. (coughs) Now avatars are brand new to the world, so to speak. Okay? And they're where you can create this electronic image to be anything you want it to be. Okay? Finding no, high, no middle school kids were doing avatars on Second Life. No. Yeah. We've got a small number of high schoolers, and we see a smaller group of, cho- of uh, college students. I anticipate that's going to increase because more and more programs are using Second Life communities to test out things. For example, in nursing, many a number of universities are using Second Life communities to see and visit in community. So instead of going out to somebody's home, which isn't always easy to do, they're putting them out on world. We see a small number of offenders responding, but they are now using Second Life. Okay? And it's pretty much broken down half who are still in jail and half out in the community. It's interesting because what do we know about avatars? They can do anything you really want. You can have public conversations or private conversations. And of course we have a case study. So she's 15. And she creates an avatar to perform lap dances because basically she charges $45 per 30-minute session, which is more than she can make babysitting, which is true. I don't know how many of you have ever babysat, Well, I'll bet you didn't make $45 for a 30-minute babysitting, okay? And in fairness, she makes an avatar very 15, and a little provocative a little more here and a little less there it really didn't sort of look like her all male customers who paid in linden dollars swipe the old credit card that's how and then she cashes out at the end of the night she said she can make more money why does she come to our attention she's not hands- on she's not being groomed. U.S. Um, George Washington or Ben Franklin. There you go. Ooh, okay, absolutely real money. Absolutely. I don't recommend it. No. <laughs> okay. And you all know what a left answer is, right? Okay. Well, what happens? Even though she never was physically touched, what do we start to see from the victim's side? What do you start to see from victims? What are behavioral patterns, children, that tend to demonstrate or display with sexual assault? So you have more
0: like self-destructive action. Sure. Just
1: like out, Absolutely, start to numb out. <coughs> Stop the memories. The sleep behavior patterns are interrupted. Very hypervigilant, jumpy uncertain, starts to have a lot of issues around the internet, doesn't like it, doesn't trust it, doesn't want to be on it. She was never touched so law enforcement says there's nothing we can do. because she was never she's not hands on. And yet I would say to you, this is still someone who was victimized by what she had to have her avatar do. Very interesting, great world we're entering into. Ah, sexting. Ah, yes. Sexting, sexting. Okay. What do we know sexting is? Well, we know that it's autopornography or self-exploitation, as we like to call it, right? It's the production of pictures that are inappropriate in the acts of undressing, touching, or having sex. Okay? We asked the high school kids. We didn't ask the middle school kids because, you know, they just wouldn't know. You have to go through principals to get into schools, and the principals were very as they should be protective of the middle schoolers. Uh, You know the middle schoolers know what this is, but anyway. So the high schoolers say, oh yeah, I know it. Oh, I've never done it, but boy howdy, I know someone who has, okay? We find that 82% of the students who use social networking sites also knew what sexting was and reported that they had indeed themselves at some point been sexted, okay? I put this up because it's Maryland, Massachusetts, and Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania was suburban. All of our schools were suburban. All of the schools in Massachusetts were urban in Boston and Maryland. I identified as rural, however, I was told by the superintendent that they are suburban school, even though that county has more outhouses than any other county in Maryland. My inclination is to think if you have to use an outhouse, you may be more rural than not. Okay. And what do we find? We find differences that the rural kids have a lot more of it than the suburban kids. We also find differences in type of student and look, type of school they go to. Sexting is related to a lot of bad behaviors, especially as we look to that clustering behavior pattern. Okay. Got in trouble. Got in trouble doing things, not supposed to be doing. Remember, the boys got in trouble more often because of downloading pornography, and sexting does often count as pornography. Okay, well, if they're sexting, and they're knowing it, what about like regular pictures? Like pictures that don't include them or their friends? You know, Playboy or something like that. We see boys, twice as many boys are seeing those kinds of pictures looking for those kinds of pictures, going on the internet for those kinds of pictures, and going on purpose to those kinds of websites or chat rooms where these things are discussed. Normal development, maybe. Okay. We find the students who are feeling threatened or harassed. Remember, that's the harassment coming from online. Also have a relationship to the sexting and inappropriate pictures. So again, we're starting to see all these clustering behaviors Really interrelating and linking. And what do we find also? The sexting has a relationship to meeting somebody offline. And when we talked about people offline, we were talking about people they had never met in person. So this was an unknown contact from the internet. And we find that sexting has a very strong relationship to offline con- or online contact with adults and then offline contact. Very small group out of 404 middle school, only 59 were talking to somebody they didn't know. Okay. In high school that jumps significantly higher. Think of autonomy. Think of where computers, smartphones, tablets, instead of being in the kitchen, now they're in bedrooms. It seems to be around 11th grade when things really seem to shift with more bells and whistles and the uh, surveillance stuff, the nanny cams come off. Okay. Students said, The stranger was a friend, boy, I could talk to him about really important things um, that other people just didn't get, didn't understand me. And the girls, overwhelmingly, the girls really felt that that relationship was not only critical and important, but also was a romantic one. And that was so key and critical to how they identified themselves because they had this online boyfriend. Did you meet through a friend? Majority of boys said yes, excuse me, a third of the boys said yes, and over half of the girls said yes. That's a concern. Now many times, we'll meet people online that we don't know, but it turns out to be a nice friendship or it doesn't last that long, but we're looking at adolescents who are going through a developmental phase, and we've got girls sharing information. You all have been through internet safety programs more recently than I have. What do they say about sharing somebody's information? Sharing somebody's cell phone, sharing somebody's email. <coughs> they, they kind of tell you not to do it, right? Please. Right? Right. And yet here we are. Okay? The online stranger becomes concerning because they don't just share information about, oh, what I like and what I don't like. They share phone numbers, they're talking and, t- talking and texting, and inevitably there becomes the suggestion for a meeting, okay? We find the electronic aggression if they had that, said, yeah, yeah I've been playing jokes on people, were more likely to go offline, okay? And we are finding that those who did joke or annoy did indeed not only suggest it, but did do it. Um, <coughs> 54%, again, we come with something sexual happening at the meeting, so we've got kids going offline to meet, nothing's happening, and then we've got kids going offline where things are happening. Not a surprise, girls said that they were going off to meet a guy, and guys said they were going off to meet a girl. Okay? The middle school students, so out of 59, over half the sample met offline. We're talking 12, 13, and 14-year-olds, kids who can't drive, kids who have limited access, okay? We have those behaviors of anxiety and being uncomfortable that suggest that something happened that made them feel uncomfortable. Maybe it was that they were there and they, were, they knew they shouldn't be, okay? And we find three. three so if we come back to the 32, this is where statistics say anything you want, 10% of the sample reports a victimization. Okay, the high school numbers jump up higher. That's not a huge surprise. We find that, again, we're finding more kids reporting that they were asked to meet, they report meeting, and that something did happen. Some said consensual, some did not. Girls, again, same numbers. Let's meet, let's go and meet, and then something happens there, okay? That's just a summary slide. Okay, so what's the victimization piece on that? And these are kids who self-reported being physically assaulted or sexually assaulted at that meeting. We see more boys than girls, which is an interesting finding. When we look at the middle school, the three that came up, Okay, And then this is just the 11th grade seems to be with the vast majority of the girls who are being assaulted by um, strangers. And again, it's whoops, it's interesting to me that these are, well, 18 to 14, not so much, but 14 to 14. 15 to 13 are at least within the same developmental phase, whereas here we have 42 on 16, and then 20 on 16. It's an interesting. OK. Clustering again, so this slide tells you all the things the girls who reported an offline meeting, whether it was consensual or a victimization have, and all the boys, and you start to see the clustering of those behaviors, the aggression, the sexting, okay, the webcam, bad thing. We have a predictor. This is one of those things why, if you love math and methodology, you will always have a home in academe, because many of us don't like math and methodology. But this is one of those things where they took all the factor loadings and the factor analysis and threw them in and came out with a predictor. What the heck does that mean? This means, as we look at this, kids who answered yes, 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 had three or more, two or more, were more likely to have poor outcomes, the victimization outcome, having been harassed outcome having low self-esteem outcome. They all loaded in there, Okay, We find that the predictive risk model (coughs) says there's a gender difference. Again, think of the population. That's not a huge surprise. So the girls, well, the girls tended, if they were being sexually harassed, were also being bullied, were anxious, and doing poorly in school. That stuff makes sense, doesn't it? And being victimized was best predicted by bad behavior and being unsocial. Okay, Bad behavior and the unsocial stuff. Okay, And victimizing others was best predicted by the bad behavior and bullying and school trouble. So much more aggressive behaviors than aggressive and sad or unsocial. And boys, very similar to that too. Again, the best predictor was bad behavior and unsocial or bad behavior and bullying. That's important. That's important because not only do risk behaviors cluster, it's important as we start to talk about profiling, as we start to talk about who's at risk, because most people use the internet and don't get hurt or victimized or bullied or stalked. Yes? Right. And yet, here's a group that may may not necessarily be able to do that. (coughs) Adolescents, if you're an adolescent, this is sort of, oh yeah. And if you're not, it's kind of like, wow. Because parents, do parents and kids use the internet the same way? Absolutely not. And there's where part of the problem is, is that the adults, i.e. 35 and older, use the internet very differently than 34 and down. And that's a problem because who's creating most of the internet safety programs? Who's talking stranger danger? Who's talking all of that? So 35 and up. Okay. Risky behavior online has very serious sub- outcomes and consequences. Certainly the predator piece, although it's small, it's still a worry. The bullying, that's a lot bigger. The harassment, online relationships, unsafe cyber dating. And then what do we see? Students creating sexualized images, the sexting, the red solo cups, the posting of pictures up on Facebook, and what happens? Well, we know that high school kids lose scholarships coming to schools. So there's a school in the South that rescinded to its class this uh, last year, the freshman class, so that would have been the class of 250, 2015, gave um, letters out to 2% of the incoming freshmen saying, based on your Facebook social networking behavior, we are rescinding your acceptance, and you're not going to be coming here. So that's very interesting, because I'm telling you now, it's not my age group that's going online to find this behavior. It's the techno savvy age groups that are finding these things. And that has long term consequences. You heard about being Facebook fired? Maybe, sort of. Okay. We're seeing some of that in healthcare. I come from the College of Nursing. Nurses are posting things online uh, about rotten weekend. The cafeteria food was lousy. And did you see so and so? She was a pain in the neck. Somebody says, ooh, was not a good thing to post. On Monday and Tuesday, they're pulled in, and they're Facebook fired. And that's the end of that. More and more of that is happening. Just like sleep texting, have you guys experienced that? We're finding over 30% of text messages that are in the wee small hours of the night are sent by people who are not awake and are not making sense. They're getting people kind of into trouble we're also finding it's adding to the sleep deprivation so if you're looking at a 16 to a 19 year old they're supposed to be getting about you know eight hours of sleep but because of electronics it has been cut down to about hour and a half off of that and we're finding because of the sleep deprivation because you only have so long to make up your sleep depth <coughs> that the responses either before they fall asleep while they're asleep or when they first wake up on Their IMs and their texts make no sense and are really kind of wackadoodle. And that's called sleep texting. Okay. Multidisciplinary teams, it takes a village, especially with adolescents, middle school and adolescents, because why? Well, who do they see? Well, they see nurses. They have to have that well child every year for school, to stay in public school, to stay in private school, to stay in parochial school. They have to have immunization, they have to have checkups. So they're always seeing nurses, they're always seeing teachers, okay. They're seeing law enforcement sometimes. They have resource officers at many places now. Teams have to work together. It can't be this is my territory and that's yours. When we talk about profiling, when we talk about grooming, when we talk about who's at risk, okay? The victims are changing. Hands-on victims are very different sometimes than internet victims. Think of the avatar and the lap dancing. Think of the nine-year-old who came in in April. The nine-year-old who came in in April, she took her laptop up to her room. She was online with somebody who wanted pictures. He told her how to click into the webcam and to Skype and she took off her panties and was doing all kinds of things to the webcam when her mother came into the room and said, what are you doing? Okay. Kids learn very differently and experiencing differently. That man never touched that nine year old. And yet I would challenge you by saying that is a victim. That is somebody who's been manipulated. And he is an offender, even though he never touched her. So we're looking at different behaviors coming out, which is probably going to make a lot of people long for those old days of when it was just one-on-one and not so many other potentials who get lost into the ethos. And law enforcement is now being asked to work with families, with teens, with others in ways that they never have had to before, as is nursing. Okay as is HIPAA, the confidentiality issues, and where are we going from there, and what does that mean, working together. I bring up one, one small piece that really hit big in this last study, and was chat, or face roulette. Actually, it's really much more around face roulette. Does anybody know what face roulette is? Well, my freshmen know what face roulette is, so my freshmen know, I know you guys know. Okay. The literature suggests that over 50% of face roulette, you know, as you spin your way through people's sites, 60% have been found in compromising or sexual positions. From the data right now being analyzed on my new sample of 5,400 students, that number is closer to like 82, 83% are finding every time they go on it, they're finding really nasty, creepy things. So I think this is going to be another big area as we start talking about what's out there, and what are we looking at, and who are we working with. And I think I came in under time, right? Yeah. So that, as they say, is the summary of six years of life. It's a lot of research, and it's a little dry. Questions?
0: This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu.